0: I want to welcome you to Young Adults Today podcast, where we talk about reaching young adults in our world today. I'm going to toss it over to our hosts, Micah and Josiah Keneally. Well, what's up guys? Hope you're feeling alive right now. I'm Micah
1: Keneally. And I'm Josiah Keneally. We are your hosts and you're listening to the Young Adults Today podcast, where we talk about reaching the next generation in our world today. That's right. Today. And Micah, Are you fired up yet? I
0: am fired up, because we've had a little conversation with our special guest already, and just feel a kindred spirit and passion for what God's done in our lives, in our families, in our marriages, in our ministries, but also what He's wanting to do in your life as a listener. What breakthrough moment do you need to submit before the Lord to experience the goodness of the Lord Most High and live on the mountaintop instead of sitting in the valley? So taking that first step is what we're praying for today, that we all step out, step up, and step onto the ground that God has asked us to walk on as one of his mandates um, and mantles that he's given us to walk in. So Josiah, we have an amazing guest. Would you want to introduce who this is? And it's a female, you guys. I love introducing some females because we're very heavy on the guy side, which is awesome. But to have some female voices out there who are willing to spend some time with us is just, ah, just a great way
1: to start a Wednesday. It really is, and we have Irene, Rollins with us I'll introduce her in just a second but Irene thanks for coming on the show oh my gosh
2: thank you so much for having me I love 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 your podcast so honored to be here with you
1: guys we're honored to have you thanks for spending time with us today and the listener Mm -hmm. and guys Irene Rollins is passionate about the physical mental and emotional and spiritual health of all people amen and You know, we've said it often, like right off the top of every episode, the intro song is Feeling Alive. Mm -hmm. So we want to come alongside her and help you live that fully Mm -hmm. alive life. And her journey, along with her husband, Jimmy, is they've been senior pastors for over 25 years at a thriving church called I-5 City. But in the past year, they just had a shift in assignment from the Holy Spirit in a brand new ministry. It's a marriage ministry called two equals one and we're going to talk about relationships so whether you're single dating Mm -hmm. engaged married this conversation is going to be one for you she has a brand new book coming out this month nationwide called reframe your shame and so irene i just thought we could kick it to you right off the top and maybe just see if you'd be willing to share some of your journey of life and faith and leadership with us today
2: Absolutely. I am just so grateful to share how God's like the title of my book reframed my shame <laughs> because um, literally shame almost killed me. And uh, people don't realize how toxic shame can get. Mm-hmm. Um, my past kind of caught up with me, the shame of it, everything I'd been stuffing and numbing for so many years caught up with me when I hit my mid thirties. I had spent my twenties popping out babies, serving in God's church full-time alongside my husband. Um, we, and then before I got saved, I got saved around 20, um, met my husband about 21 and just kind of like gave up all the stuff I was shameful about and started living off this high of serving God's people. And then I started living off the high of having a baby And then having another baby and having another baby, buying houses, like just living this life that I'd always dreamed of. Uh, Problem was when that high wore off, I didn't know what to replace it with. Mm. Um, I was left kind of um, empty, like, who am I outside of what I do for God? Um, All the people I take care of at the church, all the the kids that I have, the three kids I have. Um, Who am I outside my marriage? And my marriage was dysfunctional and our communication was horrible. I was miserable, but I thought that was my normal. Mm -hmm. I thought everybody lived in that type of dysfunction. You only know what you know, right? So nobody had exposed me to um, things like being emotionally healthy and how that's connected to our spiritual maturity. And I hit like this lid of spiritual growth. And I was like, what is this? I was emotionally unaware and emotionally unhealthy, stuffing and numbing all the pain from my past. Um, flashbacks started to come up in my 30s. Uh, they call it a midlife crisis for a reason, quote, unquote. And um, the and when as I started to have those flashbacks, my brain was telling me that and God was telling me, hey, it's time to deal with this mm. stuff in your past. But I didn't know how to express, articulate, experience my emotions because I thought it would kill me. Wow. Literally. Mm -hmm. First of all, I grew up not being allowed. I don't know about y'all, but I grew up not being allowed to talk about my emotions um share them label them what is that you know what i mean like right. so i didn't know how to process them so when we were on vacation um i think i was about third between 30 and 32 32 years old my husband and i were on vacation uh had just relaunched the church we're pastoring we've got three kids a house everything looks amazing on the outside again my marriage is miserable but that's my normal my life sentence so i thought um we decided we were gonna have margaritas we were gonna try like this whole concept of alcohol it's legal it's you know uh there's this whole discussion in the Bible of is it uh you know as Christians should we should we not and the church we grew up in it was a no no
0: mm-hmm.
2: not touch alcohol so we kind of got a little rebellious and we're like, uh it's not no big deal what's the big deal of you know, having a glass of wine with dinner. Problem was it felt way too good to me. Mm. (laughs) And all of that junk on the inside of me, all that trauma that hadn't been dealt with, not acknowledged the flashbacks, I started realizing that when I drank, I felt so much better. I had this like temporary satiation of my pain. Um, I was temporarily happy. I had temporary confidence. They call it liquid confidence for a reason. Mm-hmm. Yep. But then it wears off. And one glass on the weekends went to well, actually, I never really had one glass. Um, <laughs> it was more like two glasses uh with dinner, went to a bottle, a bottle and a half wasn't enough. And before you knew it, I was up to two bottles a day. Like, you know, just couldn't wait to get home and have my my glass of wine my mommy juice i started kind of conforming to the things of this world as mm-hmm. it says in romans it says don't conform to the things of this world we all have the freedom and response to um to drink right and make these choices we have free will but and that choice is not i'm not here to judge anybody or shame anybody for the choices they make because everyone has to make a choice for themselves but what I was unaware of at the time was that it wasn't beneficial for me. Mm-hmm. I have the right and the ability to say yes and no to anything in my life, but I said yes to something that wasn't benefiting me and it spiraled into addiction in a six year period of time.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So my dependency increased, arguing with Jimmy increased. Um, what did addiction look like? Cause that's part of my call. It's like, I've got to tell people this is what addiction looks like because I didn't know anything about it and nobody in the church was talking about it. Right. Wow. Nobody. right. And so it crept up on me without me even seeing it coming. So slowly dependency increased. I'm arguing with Jimmy. So you have relational issues. That's a sign, a warning sign. I'm rationalizing. So, oh, I just overdid it on Friday night. I mean, I'm a grown woman. First of all, you can't control me, Jimmy Rollins. And, you know, what's the big deal about just letting it loose once in a while? I can pray and ask for forgiveness tomorrow. Um, Then the binging increased. Jimmy would go out of town and I would take advantage of that moment and overdo it. And before you knew it, I was having regular blackouts. Couldn't remember. things like being intimate with my own husband. I couldn't remember the next day, Mm -hmm. horrible, but little did I know that I was set up for addiction because I had undealt with pain and trauma in my past, a lack of awareness of my emotional world. So it was eating me alive. And then I had no awareness of the addiction slope and scale. So I went down it like, and ended up in rehab and hit rock bottom.
0: Wow, Irene, thank you so much for going there. We just Seriously. were talking about a couple of days ago. Just because we can do something, whatever that decision is, doesn't mean we should. Right. I think the can we're like I can fill in the blank. I should. Oh, I know that that's wrong. You know, just like identifying like what's right and wrong for me, for my household, for my family. Whether it's an addiction, whether it's um, it can be anything. It can be technology. It can be beverages. It can be. I mean. Gaming is the limit, unfortunately. Right. (laughs) So fill in the blank, but it's just like, how do we live in moderation? But you had kind of leaned into this, um, concept of like, can you just define codependency? Many of our listeners, they might be, I don't know, single dating married engaged and i think when we live in the world which we live in where there's a lot of loneliness there's a lot of anxiety there's a lot of depression i think there's a natural bend towards the worldly things instead of recognizing wow like you said there's some undealt with trauma and memories in my life that's causing me to relapse in emotions thought process justification I have the right you know like all those different layers of the onion we're like a bunch of onions and God's just trying to peel them back to get to the core of this is who you are if you are my child right so Mm -hmm. can you just define what like codependency is and from codependency to that real connect that reconnection that you had maybe after coming out of rehab after you know just recognizing like wow Jimmy I'm going to choose to stay with you and we're going to fix this marriage and put Christ back at the center can you just kind of lean into that portion or speak to that. If somebody may feel like, wow, I feel like between a rock and a hard place myself
2: Or so codependency is like an ever evolving. Um, uh, the definition of it is ever evolving, especially in this time period. I think that, um, the season of this world, it's like, we're the understanding of codependency is moving at snail's pace. Right it's slow people aren't understanding it which is why i'm loving you guys are talking about it because i believe that codependency can become a disease hmm. a disease that can kill you so a disease is just simply means that um your your something has been altered from its natural state to the point where it's like um it's permanently altered or what have you. So a disease like alcoholism is a disease. My brain is forever altered in it as it relates to alcohol. I can never touch it again because I go crazy and I can't just have one. Do you get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Totally. Codependency can be the same way. We are, codependency, the root of it is uh, childhood dysfunction. Mm. Guess what? We all have a little bit of codependent tendencies. We all came up in dysfunctional families. And what happens is when the dysfunctional caretaker does not uh, care for the child in the way that they should. So that means acknowledging your child's emotions, their needs, meeting their needs and wants. Um, You grow up needless, wantless. That was me. I wasn't allowed to share my emotions. So I grew up stuffing and numbing them. You're not supposed to do that. I exploded. We will explode, implode, mm-hmm. self-destruct if we don't experience these God-given emotions, good, bad, and ugly that he gave us. Right. Dependency is having other esteem. we It's really hard to esteem myself. I have a hard time affirming myself as a recovering codependent. My self-esteem, all those years leading up to my addiction was based off of what others thought of me right and let me tell you something about this whole shame thing when shame comes in i shamed myself as it relates to god i would read the word of god and shame myself that i wasn't enough not good enough god's grace didn't apply to me because my issues were just unforgivable and i'm too broken too far gone yet i'm pastoring and creating environments for other people to come and know the freeing power of jesus christ but as a codependent I can't do that for myself, right? It's a, so I be, kind of believe that codependency, um, oh, another facet of codependency is when you're dependent on some, you're too dependent on someone else. So your, your dependency on others is in extremes, overly dependent or under.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow.
2: Does That make sense.
0: Yes, of so course.
2: All of these dynamics stunt our development into adulthood. So we don't become functional functional adults who can relate with people and ourselves and God in a healthy way. So codependency, I believe, is the root of all addiction.
0: Right. That's amazing. And
2: so I got to rehab. The first book they had on my bed, my Bible was here. And the word of God was speaking to me and um, helping me reframe the shame of my situation that I was in. He was promising me that I'd like in his word in Psalm 27, that he would never like that. He I'm going to experience joy in the land of the living, that he's hears my cries and my prayers, and I need to wait patiently and on him. And um, his word was speaking to me in my valley of shadow of death. But then this codependency book was put on my bed too, by the treatment center. They're like, start here at birth. What was happening around your birth? What transferred to you while you were in your mother's womb? Like we got digging into the stuff that happened before I even realized I was a human. Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know what I mean and um that and yeah so I don't know if I answered your question I'm kind of all over so codependency it's a yucky thing and so I'm in recovery I identify that that's an issue for me that I am overcoming codependency for the
1: rest of my life yeah and I just look at how we overcome Irene is the blood of the lamb Mm -hmm. the word of our testimony and you have a testimony that you've begun to share already today Mm -hmm. and it's um, and, and I think also just the, the word of God, the blood of the lamb, the, the recognition that the gospel says this, that Jesus does for us what we could never do for ourselves. Right. And I love that, that mm-hmm. the idea that Jesus came to pay a debt that he didn't owe mm-hmm. because I owed a debt that I couldn't pay. That is the reality of what we're talking about and um, I think is broken imperfect people, mm-hmm. we all have our own childhood, we all have our own family of origin, we all have that, those things that, whether we've dealt with them or not, and I think of a book that I read more recently, but Emotionally Healthy Leader, mm. an Emotionally Healthy, um, just the program with Peter Cesaro, the oh. idea of, of drawing out like a family genogram of like, hey, how is my relationships with my parents? How is, That's good. It, siblings like where are there any broken relationships like this is all a part of it and what I'd be curious for you is you kind of left me hanging anyway what was I, I know you've brought us to that rehab moment and in the bible on the bed and learning about codependency and being set free by the mm. reality that God's grace is sufficient for your needs what where did it go from there are you willing to just talk about maybe what yeah coming out of rehab or back into marriage and ministry, what that journey has been like?
2: So we um, we got honest with our pastors and told them how miserable we were in our marriage. And my husband got honest about my drinking and they went ahead and put us on break. Mm-hmm. Good pastors will sit you down for a season so you can focus on yourself getting well and focus on your family it's family before ministry any day family is our first ministry our and if you don't have kids your marriage is first ministry greatest gospel message we could ever preach to this world is a healthy marriage Mm -hmm. because it's literally the love the redemptive love of jesus christ gets to be demonstrated through our marriage union yep and so ours was obviously falling apart and my husband gave me an ultimatum that if you don't go to rehab I am going to leave you, because at that point I was drinking a pint a day, hiding vodka and water bottles, lying about alcohol. I'd become this person that couldn't stop drinking. No human being could help me. Mm -hmm. Like I and I felt such shame about it to the point where at the rehab I went to, they label had a label not not a label, a diagnosis for me for toxic shame. So I had suicidal ideations, like, I'm like, this is too much. I can't recover from this. Nobody could ever find out that a pastor and a mom and a wife went to rehab, yet it was the best thing that ever happened to me, the way God works. Um, Yeah, hitting rock bottom was the foundation of what the Lord built the rest of my life This is where I found out about codependency and the, all of the, so Jimmy and I had this amazing, quick whirlwind romance, met at work, two weeks later, went on a date, engaged two months later, married six months after that.
0: Holy Toledo. (laughs) Uh,
2: Yeah, I was 21. He was 24. I didn't know myself. Like I didn't know what my favorite color was. You know, it's just like, I, yeah. So here we are um, in the, so the honeymoon phase wears off and then you hit the hot button stage of marriage where you're dealing with those family of origin issues. Well, we didn't process them. We just got miserable. And then when we added the alcohol on that, it was completely falling apart. So he comes to rehab, learns about my addiction, learns that I'm not drinking at him. So for listeners out there who are like, how do I help my spouse or my loved one or whatever get educated get educated on addiction number one number two or you could switch them around they both go hand in hand take care of yourself you can't control the other person but you can control you so how did god turn make this all this yucky stuff in my life good it was when the whole family studied alcoholism studied trauma studied codependency and began to activate all of the tools and things we learned um, in our everyday life. So I, Jimmy was like, oh my gosh, she's not drinking at me. She can't help this. So his, he reframed the way he looked at me. He looked at the little girl, looked at me through the lenses of the little girl who was aban- abandoned, felt abandoned by her dad under the bed. Um, which was a trauma for me. And my dad went to go work overseas, by the way. So he didn't like willfully mm-hmm. abandon me. But that's what I made up. That was right. the narrative in the script that I believed in my heart about myself. Right. I right. wasn't good enough for him to stick around. So Jimmy began to see that little girl. He began to see the girl at 10 years old exposed to pornography, the 10 year old little girl that was exposed to alcohol at 10. The one that was 14 living in Switzerland, abusing alcohol living this life in um, boarding school, but by myself, feeling abandoned again, having right. to figure out life on my own. Then abusing alcohol all through my teens. I became a little alcoholic at 10 years old. I didn't know it though. So right. when he started to see me through my the lenses of my wounds, we began to heal together. It's so good. He took care of himself though, like he had to get in counseling because the emotional... Um, people don't realize that the people, the loved ones of the addict are just as sick emotionally as the person in the addiction, Hmm. just as sick, but all the attention goes to the person in rehab. Wow. Like, and no, the time your loved one is in rehab is not your break to chill and get some rest because you know, they're safe. Yes, you get to do that. But the other side of it is you get in counseling, you figure out how you've been enabling them it may not be clear to you, you're the part you have played in it. Right. So anyway, I could just keep going on and on about that, but like uh, rehab, so we come, I come home and it was only, t- it was two and a half years later after I had built credibility in my sobriety and gone to boatloads of trauma therapy, boatloads of marriage counseling, imago therapy, EMDR. I could tell you what all of these different yeah. types of therapy are um and my family got well then we shared it with our church and our church exploded in growth because we're like me too how do I get free help me oh my gosh if she can talk about it and she's a pastor then I can receive the grace of God right in my weakness as well
0: yeah well I think the enemy puts us in a corner with like against the wall with like by the throat saying like you're the only one you're the only one this is hidden be quiet be still like and those are lies of the enemy that we believe or the story we tell ourselves right like you had already alluded to that like even just you looking back as a little girl through the lens of that but also just like we have to recognize that there is an enemy willing and longing to kill steal and destroy any and all things Christ like in us around us or anything we put our hands to. And I love what Christine Kane says about shame. She goes the enemy says shame on you, but Jesus says shame off you. Yeah. And if we can walk out in that freedom of recognizing, hey, I'm a pastor, I'm not perfect. Remove me from the mantle that you've placed me on church and to know that But at the foot of the cross it is equal ground and none of us is not able to fall. It's whether or not we're going to be willing to stay there and allow the enemy to keep us at the foot of the, you know, the foot of the cross beat up for the wrong team. Right. But we have to be the ones that get up. We have to be the ones that make initiative to recognize I am. I am not whole in this season but i desire but i know that i'm designed for holiness through the love and through the what jesus christ did on the cross and i think as a church sometimes like the congregation that you kind of alluded to is the fact that i want to experience freedom too like i'm struggling with this too like why aren't we talking about the guilt, the shame, the sin? Like, how do we identify and call the enemy out by name so we can rise up to the kingdom of God and be the person that God's called us to be, even if we have to go back 20, 30 years of junk? But let's start pulling this string and see where the end of it or, like, the beginning of it took place because I've been through prayer mentoring. Josiah's been through prayer mentoring. It's not counseling. We call it mentoring. But they help mm-hmm. you peel back the trauma, yep. the... Um, Oh, there's the labels for everything, like inverted parenting, all types of things that kind of come out and come up when you're like, "Oh my gosh, like I messed up, and I thought I was the holiest I could be, <laughs> or right. the healthiest, this is the healthiest I feel." But in reality, if you start tugging on something, it's gonna go a little deeper, right? But we want to find the root of that, and I think the important thing is that when we take something out, like a garden, if we take out a root. I want to replace it with something godly if i want to take out the root of shame and find out what that is and pluck that out of my heart pluck that out of my story but let it still be a testimony I need to replace it with the true living word of God. And who does he say I am? I am whole. I am righteous. I am set free. So I would be curious, Irene, like as a pastor, what is your advice to somebody who's maybe leading a church, who's never talked about guilt, not even addiction, just like guilt at large or shame or sin for that matter? How do we as leaders or maybe the listener, how do we begin to talk about this healthfully and not get up from a stage prematurely and say, here's my problem. and yeah.
1: it's like,
0: oh, you haven't even started the healing process. Don't get up and tell me you have a pornography addiction and you're meeting with me weekly and being mentored by me about my porn addiction or whatever the addiction is. Pornography is just running rampant. So I use that a lot. So mm-hmm. forgive me, listener, whatever the issue at large is.
2: <laughs> yes. So it's funny that you say that um, because that's called oversharing yes. and that's a boundary violation. So in codependency, we uh, codependents either under or overshare. It's a lack of moderation, remember? Mm-hmm. So you can't self-regulate very well. So that whole oversharing thing is not okay. And I write about that in my book. I write about what that looks like. When is it, who you should share with? Who are the safe people? when the timing, when does God want you to share this? And what's your motivation? Mm-hmm. Is this just to say, I got honest and I told the whole world that I had a, um, an affair on my spouse. Like, okay, but tell me what you did to overcome and how your you and your spouse redeemed your marriage. How would How did you guys forgive one another? Mm-hmm. How did you build trust? So it's like me saying I'm an alcoholic is saying that not that I am bad. I have reframed the shame. Mm-hmm. And I have claimed victory the way Jesus did. How he redefined the cross and the shame and humiliation of the crucifixion.
1: Mm-hmm. He
2: has shown me that if I look to Him, and as my um, as my healer, as the author and finisher of my faith, He's writing my story. Then I can. He can help me turn this thing around. So when I say I held on to that, I did not want to say I was an alcoholic till day thirty eight, when I finally admitted. That I was an alcoholic. That grace came in that you referred to from 2nd Corinthians 12, 9. Like
1: mm-hmm. when I
2: admitted my weakness, then the grace of God came in to give me the strength to walk out my recovery. But whole I held on to that thing, denial. I did not want to say I was an alcoholic because I felt like it was the most shameful thing I could speak over myself. Mm-hmm. And not realizing that. By acknowledging my weakness is how I got closer to God. Right. So it's like in the church, we can talk about things. And once we've conquered them and overcome them and felt from godly counsel that it's okay to share publicly, and it's been like exactly what we're going to say has been rehearsed that's really critical because one thing in the 12-step program, it says, when you go, when you're going to make amends or you're sharing your story, if it's going to hurt the other person or someone else, then you should not share it. That's good. You should keep it or, and go to counseling and share it there and go to counseling where they're legally bound and, um, you know, talk about that situation. But if it's going to hurt someone else, like, you sharing that story. There are parts of my story I'll never share mm-hmm. publicly
1: mm-hmm. because
2: it hurts people that are near and dear to my heart. Um, my abuser. Right. So it's like, I'm not doing that. I, that's a choice of mine. Right. Um, but yeah, but shame will tell you that you're alone in your struggle. Don't share it with the world. But then when you hear other people sharing, we just have to be self aware enough and uh, regulate that and you know really um just bounce it around with somebody we know before we go
1: firing it off from the rooftops there is such wisdom in that irene Mm -hmm. and i think one of the challenges that i see with church ministry and with leaders is Mm -hmm. I, i don't know if it stems from the priest laity model where there is this separation or people were once established with a pedestal, like they were the priests and then oh. everyone else was kind of the common people, the laity. Mm. I don't know if it goes that far back or if it's, you know, it's it's definitely something that I see a lot though, is that pastors of a church, mm. they wonder this question, am I a part of this community? Mm. And so I think that loneliness, what you're talking about right there, I think that can be sometimes an inherent, challenge for all ministry leaders to to ask the question who am i a pastor to and then yeah. who am i maybe a friend to like yeah. where where are my friends where are my mentors where's my community and at what point am i a leader and i think we it's it's really easy to forget this yeah. but pastors are people too
2: Oh, yes, we are. Mm -hmm. And we talk so much in the church about how pastors hurt and leaders abuse their power and hurt people in their congregation. But we don't talk a lot about the other way around. Mm -hmm. We're human. We have feelings when people post on social media um, and use social media as a weapon, like and say hurtful things that our children are reading like, hello. Yeah, we're human too. We have feelings too. Mm -hmm. And um, to your point, I really think that, um, you know, we, we have this um, motto that Jimmy and I live by that's don't do ministry alone. Don't do life alone. That applies to anybody. Because as a leader, and I know you've read Emotionally Healthy Leader, because I can hear it from even your question, but that for me, all some of these wounds were self-inflicted from my ministry years. It wasn't the people hurting me, it was me hurting me because I didn't have proper boundaries. So my employee, I was also pastoring and then I'm speaking into their life and then they're telling me about their marriage. And it's like, it was too many layers to Mm -hmm. to navigate. It's like, no, can I just be your pastor? And then I have a community outside of my church where I go get fed I have a pastor speaking into my life. I have peers that I'm in relationship with that I do life with that, Like as a pastor and a leader, I'm not going to get fired if I tell my friend Andy Andrew that my husband sucks today. <laughs> I'm just having a bad day. I work with my husband. I have to go home with him and he ticked me off at work and somehow I have to muster up the brain power to connect with him this evening when I'm mad at him from work. Do you get what I'm saying? Like The complicated dynamic of working Mm -hmm. with your spouse and being in leadership. I can't go to my, um, a boundary violation would be going to somebody in the congregation or someone in uh, on staff to complain about my spouse Um, and even complaining. Now with my recovery work, I've learned how to have a conversation with someone where I can vent not be judged this is how i know they're a safe person they challenge me back
0: mm-hmm. they won't
2: let me just stay in my vent right that safe person is going to say hey irene what's your part in it right. hey irene okay you said that now what are you going to do about it right like not right. just me dumping on them but them actually challenging me back so if if you're isolated and not in community and not finding community for yourself then like yeah, good luck. (laughs) It's not gonna end well.
0: Right, right.
1: Seriously, (laughs) and I think that um, what you're talking about about the nature of ministry is there are some dual role relationships. A pastor might also be an employer. So there's Mm -hmm. the pastoral, employer, dual role relationship. You might be working with your spouse. Mm -hmm. And so for Mm -hmm. us, at what point is it um, marriage Mm -hmm. conversation? And at what point Mm -hmm. is it about the worker ministry? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I think to be mindful, and intentional because some of it is um, built in like it's unavoidable that there's gonna be some friendships so we are yeah. relational beings so mm-hmm. there is we can't just compartmentalize everything but just yeah. to be aware that there are mm-hmm. some dual role relationships mm-hmm. and that there's gonna be some complexities in navigating them and then I would say to anyone who's listening today and you find yourself single you have an amazing opportunity Mm -hmm. You have, honestly, what I would even call right now in this season an advantage, and that is you can pursue health as a whole person, whether it's emotionally, physically, um, your finances, spirituality, in each area of mental health. health. Right. And and so I would just say whatever hard work, maybe it's picking up Irene's book and looking at, is there shame in my story Mm -hmm. or where is there shame in my story? And Holy Spirit, would you guide this journey?
0: Would Mm -hmm. you guide
1: this process in my heart and my emotions and my narrative? And God, would you help me to reframe any shame so that I can see it as off of me?
0: Right. Mm
2: Right. That's so good. good. That's good. That's so good. You know, you made me think of the single person. Like, I wish that I had someone had told me to get self aware. Mm -hmm. Mm. Like, do the enneagram do the working genius for those couples that are in the dual role working genius by patrick lencioni Uh, enneagram like jimmy and i's differences the things that brought us together that we love so much we later began to despise about one another and now we leverage them and we are stronger as a unit um than we are separate however i wish i had taken the time to in my separateness in my singleness to become self-aware, to find out what is this codependent thing so that I don't become codependent in my marriage. What parts of my dysfunctional past, because we all have them, mm-hmm. are am I gonna work on before I get married so that when my spouse triggers that thing, I have a response versus a reaction. Um, and then he, I can be honest with him about it because I'm aware. Right. So, hey babe, right now I'm feeling triggered and I need your help right now. And this is my vulnerable ask. Like, I didn't know how to do that. And I could have spent time in my singleness working mm-hmm. through those two things and developing skills before I'm distracted by triggers. and uh, you know, living in the same space right. with someone and all the complicated right. orders that come from that.
0: Right, so, I think the, the words that you used is if, mm-hmm. not it's when, it's gonna happen. If it happens, no, when it happens. <laughs> When it happens, As it's going to happen. And yeah. we've just learned like just being married. I got married at 30. Um, so just recognizing and realizing like we all have a past, we all have a story, but learning how to lead ourselves well in a form of singleness just helps us learn how to lead with each other and alongside each other. And it's not a tug of war. And it's not like you're being drugged or you're dragging somebody along. It's like learning how to ride a tandem bike and learning how to be in cadence with one another right? And just realizing like, you know what, we're going to hop on this bike together and we're going to learn the rhythms of life and ministry and communication and how does this function? Oh, now we're parents. Okay. We have to like change the speeds or really like recalibrate like what we're doing here. And I think that for the listener, like if you find yourself and you're, you're you're flying solo and you feel like you're trying to get a tandem bike to work, well, it ain't going to happen because you need two people. But Be the person you need to be and become in a season of singleness because your confidence will be found in Jesus Christ, not in that other person. You will not have to apologize for your God-given gifts, talents, and abilities for recognizing who you are and who you are not because you will have taken those tests. Take the personality tests. Take, like she said, something's going to trigger you. Wow, I need to deal with that form of childhood trauma. Or maybe it was trauma in my adult 20s that was my choice or was not my choice, you know? (laughs) So I think when we recognize and realize, Josiah shared this before, um, the church that you said, I want to go to this church because it sounds perfect because there's no, do you remember what that is? Oh yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I heard Andy Stanley (laughs) share that um, at North Point, he said there are there's no marriage issues, there's no married people issues. Mm-hmm. I was like,
0: sign me up, sounds
1: great. <laughs> and mean. he goes, at our church, we have single people issues that were never dealt with, and then you bring two single people together for a marriage, and it's really single people issues that then become married people issues. Oh yeah,
0: yeah that's yeah. true. So that why- is. True. Yeah, you probably discovered layers of that and being married for as long as you and Jimmy have. And I would just ask, we should go here. Yeah. Oh, we're going to the next one. Oh, five and five. Are you ready for the next challenge? Sure. You like games. It feels like you're up for the next. You're like the next contestant on five and five.
1: Yes, let's go.
0: All right, do you want to kick off stuff?
1: Kicking off, off, this podcast really is about the next generation. And so I'd just be curious to you, Irene, why does young adult ministry matter? Why is it important and vital?
2: It is important because, literally, so for me, um, I'm thinking young adult ministry are there are next, there are next leaders, there are next, and there are next opportunity to break generational cycles. Like mm-hmm. the next gen, the the young adults are the ones who can do better than what our parents did and our parents, the, like every generation's gotta get better. Mm-hmm. So I just, I, my prayer has always been, what is this generation supposed to be doing? Because mm-hmm. God has a specific call and a specific um, thing uh, to accomplish that each generation has to accomplish. So this generation ha- of young adults that's happening right now, they have something specific that God wants them to deal with That impacts our world and eternity. Mm -hmm. So, it's important that I focus on making sure they win and they accomplish the 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 call of God on their generation. So (laughs) So it's so important because of that. They got to do better than me. They got to just the greater things through them. Yeah, get what I'm saying? Yeah. Amen.
0: Yeah. That's so good. All right, question number two. Here's a fun one. Irene, if we were to find you on a day off for a summer activity or something, a fun hobby that you've taken up outside of ministry, what would we find you doing or enjoying?
2: I would be doing two things. Okay. Boot camp. So um, I'm making a comeback right now. See so my I saw you.
0: Coming. We were watching. I was like, we got to follow her. And he's like, oh, yeah. she's been yeah. yeah. after it at the gym. Look I at her. Those yeah. box hops. Oh, I hate those things. Yeah. Skin I love it. Every time. <laughs>
2: I'm like I I will I have to be doing 30 inch box jumps to feel like I've uh, like I've worked out. You so I'll be doing um, boot camp or reading. I'm an right. avid reader. Like if you could see my bookshelf right now, it's like I I'm always getting. I'm reading three books at a time. I inhale books.
0: That's like him on vacation. I can relate oh, to mercy. you.
1: We just got back from a week at the beach and. Um, uh-huh. I think I read two books while we were there.
2: Yeah, that's awesome. Oh, and one last thing. I'm obsessed with English Bulldogs. They are. See?
0: They're so cute. Oh they're gosh. so They're cute. I told you. He's like, I don't <laughs> so see it. I'm like oh, Pitbull or Little. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh, I love oh. this.
2: sheep face. So yes. I have a um, three month old one right
1: now. Oh, and she see is everything. Oh gosh, that's <laughs> yeah. too fun.
0: That's too fun.
1: How about this? The curveball today is if you could ask Micah and I anything, no topics off limits. What would you mm-hmm. want to find out today?
0: Hmm.
2: Okay. <laughs> Great. Okay. Um, let's see. And y'all are cool. Getting real, getting honest. Yeah. We don't okay. know what's
0: coming. We're ready.
1: That keeps us so, our um, ball. Hmm.
2: What would you say is the most difficult issue you have to talk through in your marriage? Like what is the hardest thing you, that you have found that you have to discuss? Um, and why?
0: Ooh, you want to go first
1: okay to me i think it's it's anytime there's a repeated conversation like maybe we've articulated some expectations or thoughts or ways of upbringing and then it, it was unresolved or there was unmet expectation so i'll give you an example i worked nights all through high school all through college worked eight years um And so my shifts were usually five to 10, three to 12, in that range. Then I would go home and do homework. And so all that to say is some of my most creative, best energy has become a night owl. That's maybe my default tendency. Mm -hmm. However, Mike is a morning person. We have two little girls, 10 months, two years old. And so they are all up at the crack of dawn, like (laughs) 5, 5.30. So I think for me, when, when my best energy might be reading that book at night or writing a writing project or mm-hmm. like late at night. And so for a discipline for me is I need to go to bed early when I'm not tired, when I might actually be <laughs> wired so that I can get up and help my family. But I think that has been a source of frustration on both ends where, Ooh. man, I'm exhausted at 5 a.m. Yeah, my best energy isn't till like nine, but then Micah and our girls—they're expecting me to be up, going to We're boot camp, pancakes. ready to go—and <laughs> so that would be an example of, hey Josiah, yeah. this is that's your day. Thursday is your day with the girls mm. at five a.m. That's hard for me, and so it's it's a constant, um, I don't know, dance of like I'm tr- <laughs> I'm not trying to let her down. I'm not trying yeah. to be lazy. That's just a challenge for me and it could easily become a frustration for both of us.
0: Oh, well, that's good, that's a good one. That's oh insane. man, that's
1: I would okay. say this is that's me personally.
0: Right. I think this is a personal challenge of mine because I didn't grow up with it, um, okay. is just apologizing, say, am I, saying I'm sorry, and owning up even when I know that I'm wrong um, or out of turn or if it unmet, unmet expectation and may feel come out sideways as a frustration and not articulating out of a source of anger or of like, I am so annoyed right now. Like I can identify emotions pretty well and I'm just like, let's just tackle this right away. So I think one thing that we've learned Um, when it comes to having a deep, meaningful conversation of calling each other out and up, meaning I'm gonna call you out in this area that maybe I feel misunderstood or hurt, but I'm gonna call you up in a godly way, hopefully pointing to the heart of Christ, um, is our conversations. Like, so he had already alluded to the fact that he, 10 o'clock, he's like, let's dream session. Let's plan the next five years of our life. What are our goals? And I'm like, "Um, I wanna study the backs of my eyelids for the last two hours now. So I think I'm gonna go to bed. Um, So I told him early on five years ago, literally probably around this time, I go, listen, if you want to have a deep, meaningful conversation with me, do not try to have it about finances or anything major past 10 p.m. So anytime I was up past 10 p.m. in the house, he would just be silent. And I'm like, okay, this is going to be our marriage. And he acts like he's PO'd all the time. I'm like, past 10. I'm like, what is his problem? So finally I said, I'm like, Josiah, I'm like, why don't you ever talk to me past 10? He goes, you said I shouldn't talk to you past 10 p.m.
1: I was listening.
0: Oh, his interpretation of like, don't talk to me at all versus, uh, uh. hey, if you wanna, like, I don't wanna say pick a fight, but if you wanna have a deep, meaningful conversation, if you wanna mm-hmm. brainstorm about our future, if you wanna you know, call something out in, in me or just like whatever that is, um, if you, if you have the freedom to do that, but just don't do it at 10 p.m. because I'm more vulnerable, I'll probably mm-hmm. be a little more vocal and I'll probably go to bed angry if it's something that seems unnecessary. <laughs> or yeah. if it is important, I wanna be a clear mind. Yeah. So I think that has been um, a realization of like, when do we have what conversation uh, are the children now it's children like are they in the room are they not in the room are they at daycare so yeah. even just planning that out of like hey can we talk about xyz you know whatever so i think that has been like josiah said a little bit of a song and dance but sorry long an- answer sorry Josiah. no
2: i love it because what i'm hearing is like there's an issue and it's repeated and yeah. but, and so there's tension around it and you can't necessarily resolve it, but you right. manage it yeah. by planning the time to talk about it, having um, like boundaries to take yes. care of yourself. Like, I'm not gonna respond well after 10. Right. We have the 10 o'clock rule too. Like nothing uh, fruitful is gonna come after 10 o'clock. That's what right. my counselor would say. Yep. Um, And so we planned. We had to plan our hard conversations for a while. Every Friday at eleven o'clock for one hour, and that's it.
0: Set the clock. (laughs) Say by the bell.
2: (laughs) Yeah, because we had so much negativity. It's like the only way we would be intentional about making some fun deposits and some adding some, uh, you know, goodness to our relationship, where we're not just planning and arguing.
0: Right. We had right. to
2: make it where, oh no, that's happening only at this time for a right. while.
0: So you have to prioritize that. So I think we've gotten real a lot better. I do not say we're masters at it by any means, but being aware of the other person's needs, wants, desires and decision-making abilities. He could get on Amazon and be like, oh, we need a new washer and dryer. Boom, I'm like 10 o'clock, you're gonna process that? Mm-mm, I'm going to bed. <laughs> yeah. So just knowing that is, it's so good to know that about you and your spouse. So if yeah. you're listening, these are real things. These are real life problems, oh, yeah. issues. Mm-hmm. I mean, granted, small in the grand scheme of the kingdom of God, but they matter right here, right now. But Irene, question number four, here we go. Um, mm-hmm. What are you excited for right now in your life?
2: I'm excited for my book to launch August 2nd. Yes. <laughs>
0: yeah, Here it comes yeah. next month. Yes. I'm, this, I should say. I'm, to be
2: honest with you, I'm just so excited to help people get free and uh, whether that is they're going to get free and but i'm thinking about the multiplication of it like you know i was um spoke at uh, a church in baltimore this past week and uh, someone sitting in the audience had come to my church four years ago and heard me share my story and she got sober she's a mom of two littles
1: Mm. and
2: now she's sponsoring other women and like helping other women get free. And she's like has a podcast, she's gone public, like with and you know, and she's not anonymous anymore. And so it's just, I think the I'm so excited about seeing other people get free, then give it away.
0: Yeah, so it's good. Mm-hmm. It's good.
1: It's amazing. I just believe this that our scars share a story if we will open our mouth mm. about it. And sometimes shame. there there can be that shame. Like I have I had stitches at my first job and I used to be like kind of shy about oh man I my hand looks a little different there but it tells a story and so thanks for your willingness Mm. to share about your story today about shame and reframing it and again um, the the release date is in August and um, we're gonna link the the ways that people can find the book wherever books are sold in the show notes so they can pick it up okay. easily but as we come to a close on this conversation that we've enjoyed a ton Ariette, yes if if we were to hand you the microphone and say the room was filled with young adults who maybe needed a little lift in their spirit would you be able to end on a, a note of encouragement or insight something that can maybe um encourage them today
2: yes um let's see where do i want to start okay So I, for this next generation, I believe what God is saying is that he wants to use our all, whatever's in our story. And he wants to turn it around for good, not just for ourselves, but for others. Mm -hmm. So how is he going to be able to do that? First, we have to surrender our all to him, the all of our past, the all of the things that we're shameful about, all of the things that are out of moderation in our life. If we don't admit it, we're not going to be able to quit it. We're not he can't heal a wound you say is not there. That's what the prophet Jeremiah says. So submitting and surrendering our wounds, our past, our issues as they come up over the years to come, um, you know, surrendering them to God so mm-hmm. that he can heal them. Um asking sin separates from, us from God. So really just that time um asking God for forgiveness and then confessing our sins to others that we might be healed. So get the God piece, that's where your forgiveness comes in and your confession, confession to God, confession to people, confession to people is where you're going to get your healing. So you want to live a free life, do the work. The work is worth it. Mm-hmm. Everyone has a different journey. So find what works for you, whether it's treatment. Don't be ashamed of getting help because you're not supposed to know everything. No one knows everything. So it's going to take listening to podcasts, reading books, going to specific counselors for specific issues and the word of God, being in a small group, like going to treatment, going to... um uh, being a part of a small group study or 12 step program, celebrate recovery, um, wherever you can be, where people are encouraging you to be the best version of yourself. So, um, yeah, like, that's what I'm, that's what I'm saying to this generation, like be emotionally aware, find out who you really are, who God says you are. So we can combat the shame and the lies of the world. Um, and so we don't conform either to That's the right. things of this world. Like we gotta know what God says so that we can know what, how we're gonna live.
0: <laughs> so good.
1: It's spot on, Irene. I would just say as we close that there's, a, there's another side to the story. There's mm-hmm. another mm-hmm. side of addiction. There's another side to the shame mm-hmm. and it is the overcoming. It is mm-hmm. the, the victory. And you're calling to the listener from the promised land today. And That's we right. just wanna say thanks for your time, for your vulnerability, for being transparent and open. And honest in a lot, a lot of ways. And we just appreciate you. Excited about your book, excited about your ministry, Two Equals One. And uh, thanks so much again for your time today. Such an honor to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: Thanks for listening to today's conversation on the Young Adults Today podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast.
1: I'm getting charged up right now,